Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. The manufacturing economy is so important to North Carolina, and whether factory output is trending up or down, whether jobs are coming or going, or whether global or domestic issues could be affecting manufacturing in North Carolina, these are all things we want to hear about. Well, at least we think we do. Today, we are pleased to be clocking in here in the IES College of Engineering studio on the campus of NC State University, where I'm pleased to have some special time to speak with an important authority of the North Carolina manufacturing business climate. Dr. Michael Walden is a William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor and Extension Economist in the Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics at NC State University. He's also a member of the Graduate Economics faculty with the Poole College of Management. Dr. Walden has teaching, research, and extension responsibilities at NCSU in the areas of consumer economics, economic outlook, and public policy. He has published 12 books and over 300 articles and reports, including his newest book titled North Carolina Beyond the Connected Age, The Tar Heel State in 2050, published by UNC Press. Dr. Walden has daily radio programs aired on stations around North Carolina, for which he has won two national awards. His biweekly column, You Decide, is carried by over 40 newspapers in the state. He's won numerous academic and public awards for his work, and interestingly enough, with his wife, has co-authored three economic thrillers. Dr. Walden, welcome to our program. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So thriller, that might be a word that I could use to describe the manufacturing economy over the last several years. With all the indicators pointing up Mm -hmm. in our travels across the state, we've seen many factories struggling just to get all the orders completed. Can you start off by giving us a perspective on just how good things have been in manufacturing Uh, over the last few years? Well, manufacturing took a big hit during the Great Recession, which spanned 2007 to either 9 or 10, depending on what data you look at. Uh, Manufacturing does tend to get hit harder during recessions because, think about it, manufacturing makes durable things. People that they they want to replace them, they can postpone replacing them. You need a new dining room, it's a recession, you'll say we'll do it later. So we saw that in the data. Uh, This was a very bad recession, so manufacturing did take a big dip. But you're right, we have had a tremendous comeback. We have seen manufacturing jobs go up. Output uh, recovered rather quickly. In fact, we're now at a record level of output value in manufacturing. That's taking out inflation, by the way. So in terms, think of in terms of quantity, we now make more manufactured output in North Carolina than we ever have before. Uh, It's a different mix. We can talk about that later than it was 40 or 50 years ago, but the quantity is there. Uh, The jobs have been coming back. I do think one one thing that's changing in manufacturing, you know this, Phil, is that more technology is coming to the manufacturing floor. 
uh, you hear people talk about robotics, you hear people talk about uh, uh, 3D, 4D manufacturing, et cetera. So one thing we do have to watch is what's that going to do to the employment levels. I do think manufacturing is probably following the trend of agriculture where a year, uh, 100 years ago, one out of three people in North Carolina worked on the farm. Today, it's one out of 100, yet we produce six times more agricultural products. And again, that's because of of technology. Another thing I'll say, I want to say real quickly about manufacturing before I forget, U.S. manufacturing has become much more competitive versus our competitors or other manufacturers worldwide. We're now, in terms of labor cost, uh, better than European manufacturers. The gap between Chinese labor costs of manufacturing and U.S. Uh, cost of manufacturing has narrowed considerably, and that's something I think we're going to see more work on to make us more competitive internationally, so more companies uh, won't want to go offshore, and maybe a lot of companies that are offshore want to come back. Yeah. So has North Carolina made out better than other states during this thriving economy? In terms of a, well, generally, um, we, have, we have been one of the faster-growing states. That's right. Uh, a lot of that is due to the fact people still want to move here. We typically rank in the top five of states in terms of what's called net in-migration. That simply measures the number of people moving to North Carolina from another state versus those moving out. People are still coming here. They like our weather. They like our educational facilities. They like the diversity of, of people and cultures and, and geography here. And so we're being driven. Our economy is being driven by the simple fact we have more people here uh, also. But, yeah, we took a, we, we took a bigger dip on average in, during the Great Recession than other states, So we've, but we've come back very strong. So, yes, we are one of the faster-growing states in, in the country. Manufacturing, the same thing. Manufacturing took a big dip during the recession, but we've also come back strong. So both in terms of the general economy and the manufacturing economy, North Carolina has had good growth rates in recent years. Great. Last year, you spoke to us about our, at our annual MFGCon Manufacturing Conference, and you began to outline kind of what was at stake in North Carolina at the beginnings of these international trade disputes. Mm -hmm. So we're here in the fall of 2019, maybe a year later, and I guess now it's evolved into something more than what you were talking about. So are we able to see any positive or negative effects so far from this back and forth with our long-term trading partners? Well, first of all, we, there are several trade fronts here, if you mm -hmm. will. We did uh, have an agreement, a new NAFTA, if you will, USMCA, that was agreed to between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. Uh, that still has to, however, be passed by the U.S. Congress. We don't know where that will go. Uh, we did do a trade deal with uh, South Korea. We have a trade deal with, with Japan. Uh, the two big ones outstanding are the EU, but the biggest one is China. And uh, I was of the mind that, that we would quickly, rather quickly, reach a trade deal with China. I was wrong. I mean, I admit I'm wrong. We, we are still in negotiations. Uh, and it has had a negative impact. We can see that. I mentioned agriculture. Agricultural output in North Carolina is down about 10 percent over the last year. That's because we sell a lot of agricultural products, particularly um, soybeans and hogs, meat, to, to China. And a lot of that's been cut off. But we can also see it in, in terms of the manufacturing numbers. A lot of people ask me, well, Mike, uh, we can do anything in this country. We can make anything. We've got all the resources. Why do we need another country to uh, sell to? We just sell to ourselves. And why do we import things from other countries, manufactured items? And I think that's a valid point. Uh, but, the, but I think the reason is if you change supply chains, if I can use that term, simply means where a manufacturer or any other company buys their inputs. If you change those, if you make them more expensive, 
companies can't just turn those on and off. We can't create a whole new supply chain here in the U.S. Uh, in a short period of time. So uh, what we have seen in the data actually is that for those items that say some of our manufacturers are importing or some of our, our uh, retailers are importing from China where there are tariffs, those retailers, those manufacturers are actually absorbing those, imp those, those tariffs. They're not passing along to consumers. That's reducing their margins, reducing their profit rate, and having an adverse effect on their, uh, their earnings. And so that's where we are now. I think clearly the two big sectors have been hurt by these trade wars agriculture I mentioned and clearly manufacturing. Mm. I'm hopeful we'll get we'll get some deals uh, particularly on China, but that's that's up to the negotiators, that's up to the politicians. Yeah, so did you say that? So, you know, why do I feel that the manufacturing economy is just going to just collapse under the sheer weight of all this negative global politics and trade uncertainty. Is that a real concern? Or do we have a history of just ignoring those things and, and just focusing on what our pocketbooks say that we can do? Well, I don't think, no, I don't see a big collapse. Um, let me talk about the broad economy, first of all, because there's been a lot of talk about the R word, recession. Yeah. The way I like to explain where we are is think of the economy as a car, vehicle that you're driving. Let's say you're driving at 45 miles an hour to go ahead to your destination. That's where we were last year in the economy when we grew about 3%, which is about average. Uh, this year, we're driving ahead, but we maybe have slowed to about uh, 20 miles an hour. That's still making progress, but it's making slower progress. And in economic uh, terms, we call that a slowdown in the economy. A recession would be that the car stops and actually goes backward. That would be a recession. I don't see that happening right now. Now, in manufacturing, though, we have seen the last two or three readings, monthly readings, we have seen a contraction in manufacturing. So you could actually make a case that manufacturing, that component of the economy, is in a recession. And that does make sense because, again, manufacturing feels the effects of, of slower e economies and, and tends to lead the economy. So I think we do need to watch the manufacturing sector not only for what is happening there, but it's a good indicator of what might happen in the broader economy. So if we, as we take a look ahead, can you talk about some of the current trends you see in manufacturing and that we should pay close attention to in the coming months and years? Sure. Well, I think the immediate one is where's it going? Are we going to have a recession? Is manufacturing going to continue to shrink a little bit or are we going to come out of this? And I think a lot of that's going to be dependent upon the trade deals. Also, what the Federal Reserve does regarding interest rates. Uh, beyond that, long term, I'm very optimistic about manufacturing in North Carolina and the United States. I already said that we've become more competitive internationally. I think, however, that how we make manufactured products, whether it's electronics, whether it's uh, a textile, apparel item, uh, is going to change. And, and, and I don't want to get in the weeds here on economics, but when economists think about production, they think about two major inputs. Uh, capital, which is a fancy term for machinery and technology, and labor. And what's been happening in manufacturing over the last several decades, we're using less labor, but more technology and more machinery. And that helps us in terms of productivity. It helps make us more competitive, but it means there are, there are fewer jobs there. Now, I think one way for North Carolina to combat that is for us to grow our manufacturing sector to bring in more companies, to, to look at existing companies and have them expand. But I do think we're going to continue to see that, that transition from using fewer people on the manufacturing floor to, uh, to, to more technology. I think another trend, and this almost gets kind of uh, futuristic here, and a lot of people raise their eyebrows, 
I, I do think that at some point we are going to see some manufacturing shift from the factory floor to inside the, the home. And you might oh. say, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is 3D yeah. and 4D manufacturing techniques. Phil, you probably know a lot more yeah. about this than I do. Where, let's say, the Waldens need a new refrigerator rather than going somewhere, a, a, a retailer, and buying that refrigerator. We have the capability in our home, in some room or basement, to actually build that refrigerator custom-made for what we want. That's decades off, but that's something that, that many futurists say is on the horizon. And then I think the last trend that we're going to look at in manufacturing is even though we've had this, this disruption in international trade due to our trade fights with trading partners, I do think the future of the world is for more trade, more trading between countries. And I think we have a great opportunity in North Carolina to access growing markets in China. You know what the next China is going to be, the country? It's India. India is going to be a big, big market in 20 or 30 years. They're actually going to overtake China in population. So I think we need to continue to look uh, at, at export markets where there's growing population, where there's growing income. Not that we're not going to grow, but, but for example, um, the rate of growth in China, even though it's off, is still twice as fast as us. India's coming up. Vietnam is a, who would have known? I grew up, I was in, uh, in, in college in ROTC in the 70s when we unfortunately had the Vietnam War. Vietnam is now considered to be a big market. So I think those are exciting possibilities for manufacturing. Wow. Well, you spoke a little bit about interest rates, and I want to uh, pick up on that. My producer says that I should avoid this question because it's bad <laughs> for the audience, but I trust that you're going to handle it well. So, uh, But there are two things that I saw happen in the last couple of months that the media pointed to as some sign of a change of our economy. And one was the appearance of what they call an inverted yield mm -hmm. curve. <laughs> and the other one was the Federal Reserve reversing raising rates and start lowering yeah. rates. Are any of these meaningful to uh, North Carolina manufacturing? What does these events tell us, if anything? And I know the concern of your of your producer because he or she's thinking about inverted yield curve. People's yeah. eyes are going to glaze over. We're going to lose the audience. But let me let me try to explain it. Um, think about if you borrow money to buy a car, and you're going to you're going to pay that back over a year versus you're considering paying it back over five years. Usually, normally, the interest rate you're charged will be higher if you take five years to pay back versus a year. Why is that? Because there's more risk. You could mm -hmm. lose your job. More, uh, there's a higher probability you're going to lose your job in five years than one year. So normally, what we see is interest rates on longer-term loans or longer-term investments are higher than on short-term investments. We get what's called an inverted yield curve when that flips, when wow. the short-term interest rates are higher than the long-term. And we have had that in some comparisons, particularly the comparison between what's called 10-year and, and, and one-year. And more importantly, that has been traditionally one of the better, not a perfect, but one of the better indicators of an oncoming recession when that yield curve becomes inverted. Does that mean we're going to have a recession? Well, number one, it's not always right. The inversion is not always a predictor. And number two, there are, I think, some special reasons why we may be seeing that inverted yield curve now. One big one is that uh, when people in the world look for places to invest their money and they're, they're, they're always looking at risk and return, they still like the United States. We are still the most stable uh, economy in the world, uh, despite all of our infighting. We're still the most stable economy in the world. We have the biggest opportunities. So if you look at the data, people are still, investors are pouring money into buying our long-term investments. What that does is push those interest rates down. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I do think there's some special reasons why the inverted yield curve might be inverted. I'm not one of those right now who is saying that, yes, this is a definitive forecast of a recession. I think over the next uh, two years, there's maybe a one in three chance of a recession, which, mean, which means there's two or three not. Um, so that's where I am. Okay. So, oh, uh, the Federal Reserve, you mentioned yeah, Federal, Federal Reserve. Reserve. Uh, yes, the Federal Reserve, um, the, way, the way I like to explain the Federal Reserve, they have many functions, but in terms of what we're talking about, interest rates, think of a, uh, I don't know if you have high school children or grandchildren, but think of a high school party where there's a punch bowl and someone spikes the punch bowl. The Federal Reserve is in charge of how much spike to put in that punch bowl. And what they will do is they'll watch the economy and say, this economy needs a little boost. Things are kind of boring here. We need to boost things. We need to get people to have more fun. We're going to lower interest rates so people will borrow more money, spend more money, and have more fun. On the other hand, if they feel the economy is getting too boisterous, or the, I'm sorry, the, the party is getting too boisterous, they will raise interest rates, take, that is, take some punch out of the punch bowl. For the last roughly four years, the Federal Reserve had been raising interest rates because they thought we were in that cycle of the economy where they had to worry about faster growth causing inflation to go up. But last fall, they changed their mind. They looked at the data, particularly, I think, what the trade wars were doing and, and decided, you know, the economy is not getting out of hand. In fact, we now have the opposite worry. Maybe the economy is not growing fast enough. So they have been lowering interest rates over the last year. You're absolutely right. That's very, very unusual. Last time the Fed did that, where they changed sort of course midway and halfway across the stream, was in the mid-90s when we had a similar situation. Uh, most experts think that the Fed will maybe lower interest rates a little more this year, but, but, but not much. And one concern is interest rates are already very, very low. And what you want the Fed to do whenever we hit, do have a recession, and we'll have another recession sometime, is use that interest rate regulator to push rates down even more. So if they're already low, they can't do that. So the Fed is always an agency, and their decision-making is always something we should watch. So those things are really about uh, increasing consumption? or Right. Right now, the Fed thinks that the, the – the, um, um, the adverse effects that trade war is having, there's estimates that, for example, the trade war might be costing us a half percentage point in growth. So instead of growing at 3%, we're growing at 2.5% or maybe even less. And so they're concerned that as long as that trade war goes on, they need to provide some, ad some additional support for the economy. They need to make it more enticing for people to borrow money, businesses to borrow money, businesses to invest, people to spend in order to keep that, e that economic growth rate high. Okay. Oh, boy. Whew. We got through it, didn't we? Huh? And we it's very clear. <laughs> so in the midst of all your information monitoring and signal reading around the world and the local economy, it appears you have some time to pursue some interesting personal activities related to your work. Now, how did you get involved in what you call economic thrillers, <laughs> the things you do with your wife? How did that get developed? Um, and, and, of course, people laugh when I say economic thrillers because, A, economics is not thought of being thr uh, thrilling. Uh, this occurred about uh, 10, 15 years ago when I was teaching an introductory economics class, which I still do, and um, where I get young people who aren't going to major in economics, but they want to learn about economics, and I want to try to motivate them to learn. 
And for a variety of reasons, I thought that they just weren't liking these textbooks that, let's face it, I've written my yeah. share of them, can be dull, boring, et cetera. So I thought, uh, why don't I come up with a, a better way to entice them to read economics? And I thought, maybe I can create some stories that will be entertaining, yet will teach economic concepts. So that was the birth of this idea of economic thrillers. And you're right, my wife has helped me, and we have three. Macro Mayhem, which teaches macroeconomics. Micro Mischief, which teaches uh, microeconomics. And then Fiscal Fiasco, which is about the financial markets. And I've been told by professionals as well as students that they're, they're not bad. They're not Pulitzer Prize winning, but they're not bad. So that's how we got involved in that. So do you assign them as a part of the reading in any of your classes? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 they need something. Now, I know today's students um, like to perhaps access their information um, elsewhere, but I still believe in books, and I still think that that's valuable to have. And these are paperbacks. They're not that expensive. So, yeah, I make them part of my reading assignments. Yeah. yeah. All right. So finally, Dr. I, I autograph them for him too, and oh, yeah, tell him, we, you know, we, save this autograph. Maybe it'll be worth ten. We cents. definitely <laughs> want to have that. So finally, let's get back to the question that everyone wants, wants to know the answer to. And again, I will pose it in the way you always so strategically do it. Will we have a recession? Uh, I do not think we will have a recession. Certainly this year, but that's a safe bet. And I don't. I'm, I'm even saying not next year, 2020. I think the earliest would be 2021. I do think what I do think we're we're in is rather than if I can go back and give some comparisons, 2018 the economy grew at a three percent rate, which is about average for post World War II. This year it looks like we're going closer to two percent yet yet growing. I think next year will depend on if we don't get a trade deal with China in particular, it's probably going to be closer to 1.5%. If we do get a trade deal with China, it'll be somewhere between 2 and 2.5%. 2 so Walden's forecast is no recession, meaning no negatives on those growth rates, still positive, but slower. So is China really just a wild card there? What about some other countries? Well, I mean? China's a wild card, but you're, you're, you're right to ask this. Uh, there are concerns about Europe, Brexit, for example. Yeah. If you look at several countries in Europe, uh, Germany, I think, had negative growth recently. Uh, uh, Italy, same thing. Uh, there are a lot of very um, ominous forecasts about what will happen if the British do leave the European Union without some deal that, that makes all the necessary adjustments. So, yeah, that's, that's a wild card. China in and of itself, it's not just our trade uh, war with them, but they're slowing down. And I think they would have slowed down anyway without our trade war. So they're, they're not the, 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 the growing economic power in the world that will absorb a lot of, of production. Again, I said, look, look down the road to Italy. Or, I'm sorry, look down the road to India. And then Japan. Japan has really had problems with economic growth for, gosh, two or three decades. They have just, this is interesting, they have been so concerned about economic growth, they have been, this for the first time, they are loosening their immigration policies. It used to be Japan said, if you're not born in Japan, you can't live here. We want to, for whatever reason, want to maintain this Japanese culture. They are now seeing that because their, their birth rate is very, very low, they're, they're dropping in population. They are now allowing people to immigrate to Japan, although before you can go there, you got to learn the Japanese language, so they may still make it hard. Yeah, you bring up something interesting. Uh, it's like population growth. I think I think that's a critical thing. And I think aren't we slowing down here in our we, states? And we what are does slowing. That mean? Yeah. Now, North Carolina. The reason North Carolina is adding population is not that we have birth rates that are much higher than everyone else. It's because, as I said earlier, people are moving here. But yes, we do have 
in, in the world, in fact, outside of some countries in Africa, uh, population birth rates have gone, in some cases, down to less than replacement level, which is, this is just amazing. Again, for someone like me, I'm almost 70, I can remember in the 60s and 70s, the big concern where it was population explosion. Now it's just the opposite. It's not enough people being born to replace those that are passing. That's one reason why uh, there's a motivation for companies to invest in technology and robotics, et cetera, if, in case the people aren't there. It's another element in our, in our long-standing debate about immigration, because one way for a country to add people, as I said with Japan, is to allow people to move into the country. And of course, we, we have a big debate about how many, what kind, et cetera. So, but yeah, this has been a, ch a much more uh, different dynamic than the one I grew up in, where the concern was too many people. Now this concern is with too few people. So what about, uh, we hadn't talked much about this, but you know, what is happening with our export market uh, amidst all of the trade? And, well, it's taken a hit. You know, it's yeah. taken a hit. Uh, uh, world trade has actually shrunk uh, over the last two years when the, these trade wars have been going on for a while. Um, and, and, and I do think that's an aberration. I don't think that's going to ma be maintained once we get some new trade agreements. And I might say about, about the administration's policy, the, the issues particularly we've had with China have been longstanding. There are three, mm -hmm. three issues we've had long-term with China. One, they don't allow our people, our businesses to sell in China like we allow them to sell here. Number two, in China has what they call state-supported companies that are subsidized that we have to compete with. And then three, if you are a company in the U.S. and you want to set up shop in China, you have to take on a Chinese partner, which means that partner has access to yeah. all of your secrets. Those have been the three issues. They go back to the Clinton administration. We have uh, negotiated, we've taken China to court, et cetera, nothing's happened. I think the Trump administration has just said, well, we're going to try some new tactics. Right. We're going to try to make it expensive for China to, to follow that. It's yet to be seen if that's going to work, but I think that's the basis of our, of our issues with China. So our export market has really been hurt by the China, China yes, definitely. market. We're yeah, still doing good, sending goods other places? Uh, we, pretty much so, pretty much so. I mean, we've got a, we could have a similar repeat of this with, with uh, the EU. Um, the EU has made some concessions recently, particularly for our farmers. But yes, the big, the big issues with China and, and what's really driving the reduction in exports in many cases is the fact that we have this trade dispute with China. Yeah, I mean, I'm, we're getting into weeds a little bit, but I was noticing that they had a, the tariffs on the Air, Airbus and mm -hmm. yeah, that, that was interesting. Right, right. And we, we, we don't, that's with the European Union. Yeah, we've got some, we have some issues with the European Union. It's interesting. We talk about productive industries, and, and we do have a very productive manufacturing industry. We have probably the world's most productive farming industry. And what that means is a lot of foreign countries who, for a variety of reasons, want to support their farmers, they keep out American farm products. And that's been one of our disputes with Europe. So do companies still want to put uh, plants here from overseas? Are they still reach, looking to? That has, that's also fallen off. But uh, I think long run, yes, we've been very good at that. North Carolina has been very good at that. North Carolina, for example, I, I was I, I participated in a group on this. North Carolina is trying to set up a direct flight to China out of RDU. That would be the first, if that happens, that'll be the first in the Southeast. And I think part of the reason is not just to bring Chinese tourists, who happen to be the largest group of tourists now in the world. Chinese are, are the, the major block of tourists. We want to allow those folks to come here and enjoy our golf courses, enjoy our cities, enjoy our beaches, and spend money. Mm -hmm. But we also want Chinese companies to come here and invest money. And for example, we have a new tire 
right. plant, uh, Chinese tire plant that's going to be opening up in eastern North Carolina. So yeah, that's very, very important. And I think, I think long run, we'll, we'll continue to see that. But again, all that's another example of something that's taken a hit while we do have this trade dispute. Yeah. We could go on all day, but we probably need to cut it off. But I really appreciate you sharing your information with us. It's always good to hear you talk about the economy. Thank you, Phil. And uh, we're happy to have you and clocking in. And we we look to bring you back maybe in another year or so to see where we stand right now. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks again. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clockingin.